the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by Border Hawk News on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador. George Rodriguez. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. How's everybody today on this beautiful Saturday, October 15, 2022? Welcome to the show, my friends. We've got uh, some great guests for you. So uh, let me tell you real quick who they are, and then we'll jump right into the show, my friends. First of all, we've got um, Mr. Randy Clark. Randy Clark is um, a uh, reporter with uh, Breitbart uh, here on the border. And Randy has an exclusive for us, my friends. Uh, On Thursday, uh, he reported uh, the story that um, the Biden administration is actually going to start sending back. They don't use the word deport. That's a very, very interesting facet to this, but the Biden administration supposedly, uh, I'll you know I'll wait to see if it does happen, but supposedly is going to be uh, re- uh, uh, sending back uh, Venezuelan adults back to uh, Mexico to wait in Mexico for their adjudication for their uh, uh, processing of their asylum claims. Now, uh, it will be single adults that they will be sending by uh, children. Uh, families with children or adults with children are not going to be uh, touched by this uh, by this new uh, process, this new procedure. I'll tell you what what is going to happen, and Randy agrees, and he'll explain it to you. What's going to happen is that there's going to be more abuse of children. Okay, people are going to use children as a buffer to stay in the United States. So be prepared because the Biden administration has just opened up another avenue, another door, so that the abuse of children, of migrant children, can occur. So, uh, you'll be hearing from from, uh, Randy Clark. Uh, Next is a very, very serious topic. Uh, uh, My good friend, Mike uh, Helley, who is the former president of the San Antonio Police Officers Association, he's going to be chatting with us and talking to us about a, a, a real tragedy that is happening right under our noses. I put it right at the feet of the George Floyd problem that we've got in the country, this movement, this Black Lives Matter fake movement that has occurred, the fake news that has been piling on police officers. We have a real problem, my friends, in San Antonio with police officer suicides. Tragic, sad, and uh, uh, Mike is going to be chatting with us about that. He's going to be explaining uh, the, the, what's, uh, what's causing it and what we need to alleviate it, because it's really sad. Um, we also have Mr. Simon Hankinson from Washington, D.C., the Heritage Foundation. Uh, Simon was here in San Antonio not too long ago, and he's going to be giving us a report of what he saw at the San Antonio Migrant Center as well as at the border. Very, very interesting. Simon Hankinson from the Heritage Foundation in Washington, D.C. We also then, our concluding guest is Mr. Adam Blanchard. Adam Blanchard uh, is a a friend here in San Antonio as well, but he is president of Double Diamond Transportation as well as uh, an an organization called uh, Tanager uh, Logistics. Now, he deals in the transportation industry, uh, in the trucking industry specifically. He also sits on the board of the National Truckers Association or something like that that he'll explain. But Adam is a wealth of knowledge about, my friends, the supply chain. 
and we got a problem. We've got a real problem. We have a pending, a pending uh, railroad strike, which I, in my opinion, my friends, and you can take it to the bank, uh, the only thing that's preventing them from striking right now is the, is the coming election. But I guarantee come November, uh, the second week in November, the railroads are going to strike, the railroad workers. And that is going to cause an absolute disaster for, uh, for the supply chains in America. For everything, everything that, that from everything that we've got in the in the pantry, on the table, in our uh, uh, our drug stores, everything, it's going to cause a problem. So, those are our guests. So let me tell you real quick. Once again, remind everyone that we are going to be looking. We are looking. We are looking right now for uh, sponsors. We need sponsors uh, for the show starting in January. In January, we get a new contract, and we are desperately looking uh, for an organization or organizations. We're looking for businesses, uh, anyone who would want to sponsor our radio program. We would love to hear from you. We would love to be partners with you. Remember, I do a ton of uh, public speaking. I do a, I, I travel. I have written books. Uh, I do a lot of promotions, and all of that. In every instance, we would carry your logo, we would carry your product with us. So uh, we would hope that uh, you will consider uh, being a sponsor for the El Conservador show come January. Okay? We need to know before January, of course. So, without further ado, my friends, welcome to the show. Call your friends, tell them to join us. Thank you for being here. Let's go to our first guest. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got our good friend, Randy Clark, who is with Breitbart. And he broke a story on Thursday, or on Wednesday, should I say, uh, regarding the response by the Biden administration to the Venezuelans, uh, who apparently went to, um, were not as welcomed in Martha's Vineyard as everybody thought. (laughs) So... Randy, tell us. Tell us about your what, what your report is. Well, so I found out from a source uh, yesterday afternoon uh, the particulars of a program that, that DHS released yesterday in a press release a little bit after 5 o'clock where uh, now there's going to be some plan to expel single adult Venezuelan migrants, only single adults. Uh, last year, or up through August, we know that Almost 100,000 single adult Venezuelans were encountered along the southwest border. So that's who this plan will apply to. However, in the same breath that DHS announced it, uh, they're also saying there's going to be a program to allow some of them to come back in through the bridges. And it's going to be modeled after the Ukrainian asylum program that they did where you apply in Mexico and then you're going to be allowed to come through a bridge. What DHS hasn't told us is really the the type of involvement CIS is going to have in this and what kind of credible fear hearings credible fear hearings they're going to administer, what the standard is going to be, or what kind of admission documents are going to be given to these people, whether they're going to be able to work. Uh, so this this is a quasi-enforcement action, but I think we're going to see some, some assembly of larger caravans that are now, instead of just hate, a, a lot of other groups in there that, that didn't altogether have a, a whole lot of Venezuelans in there, I think we're going to see that demographic start to grow because I don't think the Venezuelans are patiently going to wait in Mexico. And what I did find out is that it's not going to be an immediate return to Mexico at the border. It will involve flights more than likely to Tapachula and into the interior. So we know they're going to remove a 1,000 per day, according to my source, at five different ports of entry across the southwest border. And these are going to be mostly men that they're going to be removing. Or it will be men and women, single adults, uh, adults. More, more than likely, yes, single adults, no family units, no, no children, no uh, juveniles, nobody, nobody that's under the age of 18. Which, again, raises the question that, you know, I mean, if you pretend to be a family unit using kids, uh, it, it lessens your, your chance of being removed. So, uh, I, you know, I, I think that's going to play into this whole situation of using kids again. So. Well, well, that's right. And and just, you know, right now we have 10,000 children in federal custody. 
That's the daily running total. And we're encountering, at least the Border Patrol is encountering, about 250 per day. So that's 250 children that can be potentially manipulated into some kind of trafficking to justify a release for somebody that otherwise would be returned to Mexico. So this this is just going to be patchwork close to the election and it's going to create chaos for mexico because we've seen when (laughs) when the migrants get unruly there the mexican national guard comes under assault there's images and videos of them taking rocks and bottles as the caravans try and move so this is probably not going to be good for anybody involved yeah again again it's patchwork i like that phrase because it is patchwork rather than addressing the whole issue of illegal immigration period protecting the border no they're gonna they're gonna do it patchwork this group and then that group and then this group and then that group and uh even within nationalities they are they are uh, adjusting insanity well the the source that i have says they're they're working hard to push nicaraguans and cubans into this program and when you add that demographic of single adults there were nearly 400,000 arrested since october of cubans nicaraguans and venezuelan single adults so you're very close to 400,000. That's a big, big push to get back to Mexico. The question is, how many of those are you going to let back in? Because they will come. They are not going to go back to Venezuela. They're not going to go to Cuba. If they're not allowed to enter through this program, they will appear on ranches, highways, and trying to get away in other other manners in the back of semi-tractor trailers. Uh, so this is more than likely going to worsen the situation before it helps in any significant way. You got it. Incredible, incredible. Anything else you'd like to add, my man, before we let you go? Well, I think, you know, we're, we're going to see some interesting things happen in a short amount of time between now and the election. I would I would uh, tell listeners to look out for those images, the images that are coming from Mexico, the start of new caravans and the announcements of that. And then to, to look out if you're on ranches and roadways, because I think that that smuggling of migrants is going to get worse and more dangerous before that gets better. Oh, yeah, incredible. This is so. This is so disturbing. I mean, it absolutely is so so disturbing how this uh, administration continues to handle this whole issue of national security, of border security, and illegal immigration. It just is incredible. Randy, thank you very very much. Thank you for for being with us. I really really appreciate this exclusive and and you stay uh, stay safe out there, my man. Thank you, George. And remind folks they can follow me at Randy, uh, yes. at Randy Clark BBTX or on Breitbart.com under our world page and the Cartel Chronicles. Have you, a good one, George. You got it. You got it. Once again, my friends, we've been talking with our good friend, Mr. Randy Clark with Breitbart. We've got our good friend, Mr. Mike Helley, uh, former president of the San Antonio Police Officers Association. We want to talk about this terrible situation that we've got with police officer suicides in San Antonio. Mike, welcome to the show. Let's talk about this. Um, it, it is a, uh, a terrible, terrible uh, tragedy that's happening throughout the United States. I think in year 2022, we already have 114 deaths by suicide nationwide. Our height of suicides started in 2019, where we had 236 that died nationally from suicide. And a lot of it is um, we do not have very effective suicide prevention strategies in place. We're trying our best through uh, some of our mental health unit guys that we have, and it's it's really a hit and miss situation. When I was association president, unfortunately, I think we had uh, six that committed suicide throughout my 12-year tenure as the president. And one of them was my classmate, uh, who was a captain on the police department, which just floored me because I had talked to him like two weeks prior to that and didn't show any signs of anything that was going on. A lot of it, uh, I, you know, it's really difficult to get into the human brain to figure out what, what's going on in there and then why people are hurting inside so much that they feel like they can't express that, that depression and the things that they have going on. A lot of it is due to the stigma when it's related to mental health because once the department finds out that you have some kind of mental health issues, there becomes liability issues that the department has to consider. Uh, sometimes it becomes more public than they want, and uh, you end up being put behind a desk somewhere. They may even they call it the rubber gun squad. They may, even, depending upon the severity of what you, of what you may be going through or what happened, to bring the department involved in it. I could even compound that. Um, but it's 
it's a lot of different there were a lot of similarities between combat veterans and what's going on with police officers and sheriff deputies and these those are the job related stress pt ptsd events that are occurring and i can tell you from my 31 year career that i had on the police department we have no incident stress debriefings i I never had one even when i had my shooting uh in the line of duty shooting that i had in 1992 i killed a burglar uh, you get to talk with the uh, a uh, the counselor or the uh, the psychological doctor for a little bit. Uh, he asks if you're okay, then then you go about your way. You have no incident stress debriefing. That's kind of glazed down a lot detailed about what happened because why we don't do that I don't know, but they still don't do it. Um, and I think that's something that they really really need to target and and look at. And that those. Stress debriefings can be as simple as family violence issues, uh, guys that are handling uh, children that have been terribly uh, uh, sexually assaulted by um, an uncle, brother, uh, parents, no matter, you know, whatever the situation is that they're going into that they're investigating, that type of trauma is, is just, it's it's, de- it's heartening to, uh, to a policeman to have to want to deal with that, especially if they have children themselves. And we also have many officers within our department that routinely have to investigate these terrible crimes. Um, and it's difficult to kind of wash your hands after you investigate these type of things all day. And you see these grotesque things happening in society every day, constantly, um, five days a week that you're at work. Um, there's, you can't just wash your hands in the sink and then your, the dirt is clean from you. It stays with you. And there, I think that there's a level of soil of, of that filth that you continue to see that if we don't figure out a way effectively to remove that from from and i don't know if there is such a thing to do to, to remove those things that we see you cannot see something terrible that you've seen that's just a fact but try to develop a strategy that that you can you can deal with it mentally and without having to worry about the stigmatism that goes with that or be punished because of that, because you're saying that, hey, I think I've got, I've got a little issue. Um, if, in fact, a lot of guys will try to suppress those feelings or the or these things that they're having of depression, they think if I drink alcohol or if I take other substances, that that will, that will suppress it and will make me feel better. And actually, it just makes it worse. It puts you in a deeper hole. And it's just a vicious cycle that continually happens. Yeah. The most, and, and, and unfortunately, I think Perf did a study back in 2019 of this because it was in, that was when the height of when we had uh, the most suicides from 2016 to 2022 so far was 236. Um, they even pointed out that we don't, uh, uh, we have a lack of, uh, there's no official central repository uh, for information and under what circumstances that officers committed suicide, right? So it's all voluntary. If you want to submit it into them, you can. A lot of people don't because there's still a stigmatism about about suicide. People are like, ah, yeah, he was a coward because he took that way out or whatever. They'll make these comments, and depending on what the agency's attitude towards that, they may not report it. Well, they may not report it because of fear that he may not receive any benefits for, for, uh, for that suicide. And they try to... Uh, couch it or, or, or to hide it in some other method um, so that the family that he left behind still is able to have some uh, uh, benefits that there's – I don't ask, think anybody thinks it is. Yeah, let me ask you this because um, the issue of, of, the, of the George Floyd effect that I call it, I use that term, it, 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 that, uh, how much disrespect, uh, how much um, uh, political – uh, and social uh, demeaning of police officers goes on nowadays. Uh, everything from the defund the police movement to uh, just holding them responsible for everything and anything that happens. I mean, I've seen uh, videos of, uh, of uh, mobs just forming uh, and, and confronting police. Now, uh, granted that in San Antonio we haven't seen that much, but it is it does happen. I've seen organizations out there vilifying uh, the police uh, in, in, and 
you know, and what's very strange is those those organizations ignore that that their communities are the ones that are racked with most crime. Right, and I, you know, I can tell you, um, despite the referendum that was put forward by you know these particular groups that were in this anti-police category or claiming that they need accountability, whatever the excuse was, the majority of San Antonians um, love to you know they love their police and they, and they want a safe uh, community. And, you know, they want to hold accountability, too. I'm not saying that that doesn't go hand in hand, um, and it should. Uh, but there's a process to to make those things work. And I can tell you that uh, uh, the George Floyd effect is a real thing. I mean, it, it has, um, I say, tragically uh, affected recruitment. Nobody wants to be a policeman anymore. And the ones that do, once they, to be honest with you, there's a, uh, I think I saw it on Facebook, Fort Worth is uh, now pretending to be a used car salesman trying to recruit <laughs> yes, people to go I into their that. department. <laughs> yes. and, and the sad thing is, you're like, man, this must be a lot of fun. And then you get in there and you're like, what the hell did I sign up for? Because this is BS. I don't, I don't sign up for this mess where you're constantly being micromanaged. There's no flexibility. It used, it, put it this way, when I started in 1989, the police officer had a lot of flexibility to be able to manage situations. We had our rules and regs. I'm not saying they didn't exist, but the discretion for the line officer that was out there doing his job, if he had a positive outcome and he was able to have a successful outcome for that particular event, it was done. He went on to the next one. Now, there was so much red tape and so much micromanaging, uh, it is to the point of nauseam. I really, I, I felt sorry for these young people these young, these young men and women that are out there trying to do the job because you're, you, now that you have a body camera on you, you got a car video uh, that's going. Um, everything is recorded. You've got it, and which is, I'm fine with all that. To be honest with you, I don't care. But what does, what does bother me is, is that when an incident might happen or you get a complaint that, that occurs, our department routinely will go back because they changed the contract. Now they get to go back two years. And look at all of your body camera footage to see whether or not you said a cuss word or if you did this wrong, if you did that wrong, just to micromanage and micro pick the hell out of you um, to stack up a list of charges against you. So that now you're facing this major suspension and you're wondering to yourself, what, what the hell happened? Your whole world is now turned upside down where you thought you were doing good. You're being a good policeman. You're going out there putting bad guys in jail. Now you got the attitude of, Hey, why am I going to start engaging to put bad guys in jail? Because if I do, something little goes wrong. Well, then it turns into this big mushroom cloud. But that's not just in San Antonio. Yep. That that's everywhere. Yep. Just looking at DC. There was an article that came out that they were they had seven officers on on investigate. Hell, don't even look at DC. Look at uh, Austin. Uh, Austin. Yep. Yeah, Twenty one policemen that were <laughs> indicted for doing what. The department told them to do. The department issued them outdated ammunition that to suppress the crowds based upon them. It was a crowd suppression type of ammunition. I don't know if it was bean bags or wood chips or what the hell it was, but it was all out of dated. So when they started using this, this, this stuff, of course, it wasn't expanding and doing the things it was supposed to, and it was hurting some people. Yep. But you got to remember, the people that were out there were rioting and, rioting. and doing destruction. They exactly. were doing things that they weren't supposed to do. So in the normal circumstances, the normal person would be like, let me see, you're out there uh, pillaging and burning burning stuff down and private property, and you shouldn't have been out there doing it, and you got hurt. Huh. Oh, gosh. Should I feel sorry for you? Gee whiz. But <laughs> now, since a policeman were trying to stop you and you were hurt, um, now you turn around and now there's some type of criminal event to that. And so you're the policeman, you're thinking, what? what? I'm in the middle. It doesn't matter what the hell I do. You're going to be if wrong. I don't do, if, yes, if I don't do anything, I'm yes, going to be wrong. Exactly. If I take a step forward, I'm going to be wrong because somebody doesn't like it. They're going to complain. And it's just this vicious cycle. So you, you, you wonder why the job stress is so compounding to you. Correct. And, it, and it's so difficult. So, and if you complain to management, you say, we just have a piss poor attitude. You're not looking at it right. Right. Exactly. Everything is gold and rose rays of sunshine. It says, and uh, I've heard the chief, our chief, say this repeatedly. Because if you've got a negative attitude, that's on you. I'm like, really? Oh my gosh! Hey, Sounds Mike, good to me. We need to uh, we need to conclude. What What do you think needs to happen in order to 
do more suicide prevention or to help the police officers a little bit more? Uh, well, one, we need to be- understand. Well, I'll tell you, we need to understand why they're happening better, right? We we quit, we can't hide the fact that they committed suicide. We need to. We had to have a deep dive into a debrief as to what exactly was going on with this officer. Was it job-related stress? Was it family-related stress? Was it uh, money? Um, what was it that, that came to these things? And are we seeing common denominators throughout, not just in San Antonio, I'm talking about nationally, we need to know what what is happening to make people go down these roads and then create intercepts that and triggers that, look, people are very proud people. They're not going to want to come forward, and we need to be able to figure out an effective way uh, a different kind of strategy than what we're doing right now because it, we have one strategy but we need to adjust it and and tune it to what um, is more comprehensive to what we're actually looking and facing because one suicide is too many and if guys are coming through the colander because we're not being effective combat effective enough in determining and spining these things then we need to kind of throw it all out and then reinvent it and kind of reconclude it again and then figure out why these things are occurring. You got it. Thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us. We've been speaking with our good friend, Mr. Mike Helley, who's the former president of the San Antonio Police Officers Association, and he's a good friend. Mike, thank you very, very much for, for, for talking to us about this very, very critical and sensitive issue. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And uh, we've got our good friend, Mr. Simon Hankinson. From uh, He is a senior fellow, uh, research fellow at uh, the Heritage Foundation in D.C. He was down here in San Antonio not long ago and visiting the border. Um, and uh, I wanted to reach out to him. Simon, welcome to the show. Let me ask you real quick. Um, yesterday, or should I say on Monday, uh, on MSNBC uh, or CNN, I can't remember which one it was, Kamala Harris, the vice president, was being interviewed, and uh, she was asked about the busing uh, of illegal aliens up to D.C. and New York by the governor of uh, Texas. Her response was, and I would like to get your reaction to her response, uh, her response was that the governor, instead of doing that, should be more involved in solving the, the problems at the border. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, what's your reaction about that? Yeah, I, I often don't know what uh, Vice President Harris means. Um, she does have a unique way of expressing herself. Um, but in this case, I, I just think it's flat wrong to say that the governors of border states are not doing anything to try to solve the problem. I mean, Governor Abbott launched his uh, um, Operation Lone Star, which has arrested tens of thousands. Um, it stopped enough drugs to you know, kill every American at least once over. But fundamentally, the responsibility to control the border, federal one, uh, Congress passes the laws. The, the defense of the physical border is up to the executive. And they have utterly failed to do that. I mean, I, as you said, I was down there last week. Uh, I don't. I don't think Kamala Harris has actually been one time. She came pretty close, but she's supposed to be the, the czar. She she hasn't been there to look for herself to see what the governors are doing and the challenges that they face. Uh, you're right. I mean, I, I you know we have uh, we have been inviting her. I mean, even even journalists and and uh, community leaders down here have been inviting her to come down. And um, uh, I think she, the closest she got to uh, it was in El Paso, where she was a, a few miles away from a detention center. But that is it. So uh, saying that, uh, your recent article, because you did come down here, three takeaways from your trip uh, to the southern border. Talk, tell, us about, uh, tell us about your article and what you found out. Yeah, thanks. So I, I, we had a, a really eye-opening trip um, down to the, the border area. We went to uh, to Del Rio, to Eagle Pass. Um, uh, you were kind enough to, to show us around uh, San Antonio and a, and a migrant center there. We got to talk to some ranchers, uh, sheriffs, 
local officials, uh, private citizens, and some uh, illegal immigrants from Colombia and Venezuela and other places. And I, I came out of this with, with three main takeaways, uh, a couple of which I knew before I went, but it's good to confirm them. The first is that uh, Secretary of Homeland Security Mayorkas has done uh, a really impressive job, and I mean that in a negative way, of dismantling border enforcement. He has diverted all possible resources to stamping people into the country uh, and then pumping them into the interior so there's someone else's problem, as we're now seeing in Chicago, Washington, New York, and even Little Martha's Vineyard. The second thing is, uh, everyone at the border said, yeah, they don't, the immigrants don't stay here. They're, they're here briefly. Uh, you've got some you know, car chases. Uh, you've got garbage piling up all over the border, drug deaths, drownings in the river. There's all kinds of initial damage being done. Um, and then you have huge populations released into these uh, uh, border cities um, like McAllen and Del Rio and Eagle Pass. Uh, but in the long run, there's no economy there to sustain them, and the people are, are from Venezuela, Nicaragua, all over the world, really, West Africa, are heading inland. Um, and, and so for that reason, my third conclusion was that the, the consequences are going to be felt everywhere. It's just taking time. And you're now seeing the mayor of New York City panicking because all of a sudden all these promises that they've made and these kind of empty, woke slogans like, you know, we're a sanctuary city and no human being is illegal meet up against the reality of seeing people who are uh, indigent, have no job skills, are not legally permitted to work, may have health issues, um, and, and don't speak any English, trying to find uh, a new life in, in a city where they were told they were going to have a welcome. It is, uh, you know, I keep using the phrase the second phase of the um, illegal of the border crisis, which is, you know, the impact on communities. And um, we have seen it in the past, like when the Marielle boat lift occurred in the 1980s, uh, in, in the early 1980s, and we have seen it... Um, you know, in recent times when um, there are refugees resettled in specific communities like in Maine, uh, where where uh, Ethiopians were or Somalis were, were settled and, you know, just they stuck out like a sore thumb. But in this case, there are millions. I mean, there, there are millions and billions of people crossing. Uh, this morning in Eagle Pass, just this morning in a one-hour period, there were 1,300 uh, what are, what are, how are communities supposed to handle this? Well, exactly. And look, I, I know there's a debate these days about whether we're a melting pot or a salad bowl, but I, I'm a first-generation immigrant myself, and I believe in the melting pot. I believe that, of course, we can have a variety of opinions, of religions, of, of uh, personal philosophies, but there are certain fundamental values that we all have to adhere to um, if we're going to build a country. And that takes time. You can't just expect to, to dump you know hundreds of thousands of people into a relatively small community and, and have them all be card-carrying Americans, you know, ready to do their civic duty the next day. It takes time. It takes uh, effort. It takes a community. And I think it's incredibly short-sighted of the Biden administration to uh, to divert from you know, a century of tradition in, in this to an entirely untried experiment, which, as you say, is this, we're in the second phase, but it's not over yet. It's not like we've absorbed uh, whatever, two million people uh, since Biden took office who came in illegally. Now we just need to figure out how to how to you know, get on with them. It, it's the border's still open. I think 203,000 people came across in, in uh, August. I'm not sure we've seen the figures for September yet, but we've had 17 or 18 months in a row of more than 150,000 people encountered at the border. And we know that a good half of those at least are being released into the interior on parole. So this is a giant social experiment that uh, the, the left is, is carrying out, and we don't know the results yet, and I suspect they may not be all that great. Yeah, well, I, I, I worry because uh, on Monday when we, had, when we celebrated, uh, well, some of us celebrated uh, Columbus Day, I mean, that is, has been a, a traditional American holiday, uh, but now the left vilifies it. And if people are not... Uh, encouraged to be American, to accept American traditions, to accept American laws. I mean, where are we headed? My gosh. I mean, look, it, you know, I, I'm a, I was a student of history, and 
you don't have to read too many books to know that Julius Caesar didn't play by today's rules. You know, he had slaves. He when he won a, a battle against the Gauls, he cut off the right hands of all their warriors. It's like ten thousand of them. Um, but we can still look at Julius Caesar as the example that he was of an extraordinarily uh, talented and intelligent and and. Uh, charismatic leader napoleon napoleon dragged his country into unnecessary wars and tried to build an empire you know but it doesn't mean that we have to demolish everything that he built um you know because we look through uh, what he did through our, our modern lens you know it's the same with uh, columbus did he behave as a human being would behave today as a leader would behave in 2022 no he, he made decisions and he did things according to uh, you know 15th century spanish norms um, but he was an incredible figure of history. We owe him uh, an enormous debt, those of us that, that live here, all of us, uh, however we came. Um, and to try to erase history, I think, is one of the sadder and dumber ideas that's come out of this kind of woke era that we live in. Yeah, and when we've got this many uh, immigrants coming in, newcomers coming in, I mean, it, it worries me how they will adjust and how they will accept uh our, uh, our American uh, style of living and, and thinking. Um, what, um, what else are you going to be working on, buddy? Well, I'm, uh, I'm working on, on this kind of general project. I mean, I guess the, the purpose here is to try to, to get more Americans to understand what's actually happening and try to open up a debate, a discussion. This shouldn't just be one party, one uh, uh, group in government right now gets to just shove what they want uh, through down the throats of, of the rest of us. There's a there's laws. Congress decides how many people come into the country and the executive enforces those laws and they've decided they're going to go around that and see what happens. So I, I think we need to keep that conversation open. We need to debate and discuss and come up with a policy and then we need to enforce that policy. Um, I, I really, you know, I really, really appreciate all, all the work that the Heritage Foundation does. Now, is that um, is that your your uh, your thoughts as far as um, hopefully this coming uh, this coming election? Do you think that there's going to be any any reverberation regarding illegal immigration in, in this election? Well, you know, we're nonpartisan here. I mean, we put ideas on the table, and we hope that one or both sides picks them up. Um, I just want to see elected officials who care about the issue of the border and are willing to do something about it and are going to hold the Biden administration accountable for what it's doing. Ask some tough questions and figure out where is all the money coming from to bring these uh, tens and hundreds of thousands of illegals in and to fly them to New York in the middle of the night and rent 45 hotels in New York City. You know, what's the long-term plan? And make sure that they're following the law, which they clearly aren't doing at the moment. So I guess what I'd like to see out of the midterms would be people voting on this issue. I think Americans in, in polls, they do care about the border and immigration. We are a nation of immigrants. I don't think anyone's against immigration per se, but a majority of Americans are against unregulated, chaotic, illegal immigration, and they want to see the government do its job. We've been speaking with our with our good friend, Mr. Simon Hankinson, from the Heritage Foundation. Uh, Simon, any closing thoughts before we let you go? Uh, no, George, I really appreciated uh, uh, meeting you guys and, and traveling around the border. I have to say, it's just one of the most friendly, welcoming areas of the United States, um, and it's always a pleasure to go down there. We appreciate you coming down here, buddy. We, we invite you to come back down whenever you want. I sure will. <laughs> Thank you very much. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP from San Antonio. We've got uh, our good friend, Mr. Adam Blanchard, who's been on the show before. Adam is the CEO of Double Diamond uh, Transport, as well as Tanager Logics, Logistics. rather. And um, I wanted to get him on because two things. First of all, he's been up to uh, D.C. recently to uh, have a... A meeting with the trucking industry and uh, we definitely need to hear about what's going on with that particularly with the inflation and the price of gasoline and everything that's going on but adam welcome to the show first of all let me ask you about a comment by the president real quick uh on uh, tuesday night in a uh, tv interview he made a quick comment about um how we're going 
his words, we are going to have a slight inflation. Um, what, what are your thoughts? Where are we right now with inflation and with the cost of things? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry if my laughter caught the mic there, George, but, but thanks for having me on. It's great to be here with you and your listeners. And, you know, I, I just I, I kind of chuckle at this point uh, with with President, you know, President Joe Biden, and his administration and just their uh, I, I don't know if they continue to think that they can hoodwink uh, the American uh, public about what we're experiencing with inflation or if they're just frankly naive to the fact of, of what's going on and, and what you know failed policy uh, his administration has caused but you know th- there's just no question george we've been living in an inflationary environment uh you know for most of this year i mean we're all feeling it um it's there, there's no question that the cost of fuel has gone up the cost of groceries has gone up the cost of of really everything we touch has gone up and and we've even felt it within the industry you know, we're, we're in the midst of a, of a continued labor crisis that, that this administration uh, seems to want to continue to perpetuate. And so to, to suggest that inflation may come down the road is, to me is, is really preposterous because it's an environment we've been living in. And I am afraid unless we get some legislative relief up in Washington and a new administration that understands the economy, it's, it's going to be an environment we're going to live in for some time. You know, uh, talk to us about your trip, your recent trip to Washington, because you met with uh, with other uh, folks in the trucking industry. I'm very, very curious um, about two things. First of all, where you guys see things going. But secondly, what if there is a uh, a railroad strike? I mean, how would that impact on us? Well, it's it's interesting, George. I was up there for our uh, call in Washington with the Truckload Carriers Association, and and when I was there, was actually in the midst of the uh, of the potential railroad strike that was occurring. And so, uh, I'll speak to that first. You know, when I was in D.C., you know, we were sitting down as an industry. My company and most of the companies there were trucking companies, so we don't uh, we're, we're not railroad companies in and of ourselves. But, you know, the railroad is an integral part of our supply chain. And as everybody knows, you and your listeners, our supply chain is fragile. It always has been, but it, it, it's especially fragile now. And, you know, I, I'm not a doomsdayer, George. I'm, I'm, I'm a pragmatist. I'm a business owner. But I will tell you, if there is a railroad strike, especially to the gr- degree that we we were afraid was going to happen, it, it would be existential. I mean, just everything that's coming in um, by sea, you know, on the rail. Uh, I mean, there's a substantial part, uh, a substantial amount of the goods out there that come in by rail. When that stops, you know, you think not only about our household goods, but there is a tremendous amount of oil and gas that is transported by rail. And so this would be something that would touch really every facet of our economy. And, and I just cannot describe how bad it would be. And it, 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 it's easy to shut it down, kind of like the world economy during COVID. It's a lot harder to get it started back up. And it, and it got so bad, George, I know that a lot of hazmat material, they had already started to stop shipping by rail in anticipation of a potential strike, if that gives you any indication of how serious it would be. Wow, wow. So what, what else did you guys talk about? I mean, what, uh, where are we going with the truck? I mean, everything, like, like you've told us before on our show, everything that's on our table <laughs> comes, comes because of a truck. Uh, what, what, what are we doing? What are we looking at right now? Well, look, George, at the federal level, we're still trying to tackle this driver shortage problem that we have. It's something I've talked with you and your listeners about uh, previously. You know, we have a driver shortage of around 80,000 drivers. And, and unfortunately, with this current presidential administration and, and their commitments to unions throughout the country, I don't think we're going to get relief on our ability to get these 18 to 21 year olds in the industry. So what we're working on right now, George, is trying to get more funding for truck parking. Uh, it, it probably would surprise you, or frankly surprise me, that there's only trucking. There's, there's only one trucking spot for every 11 trucks on the road right now, and that is inhibiting our ability to recruit drivers into the industry. It's having a huge inhibiting factor uh, in us recruiting women into the industry because if there's not a safe place to park, 
Um, cause we can only run our trucks a certain number of hours a day and then we have to stop. It's, it's, uh, you know, fe- by, by federal regulation. And so we've got to get more funding for truck parking and, and we're going to continue to try to tackle this, uh, you know, the lawsuit abuse issue at the federal level. But once again, it's just one of those things until we get a, uh, another president in there, in there that has some business sense to him. I'm afraid that's, that's a non-starter, but we, we did get some language in the appropriations bill for, for uh, more funding for truck parking and hopefully hopefully we can see that through and, and help these drivers out on the road do you guys see um a uh, a flipping of the um of of congress uh, are you guys hopeful or do you think that uh, i mean are you optimistic that there is going to be a friendlier congress for the trucking industry we're, we're very optimistic george in fact we got a uh, an update from from our staff up in Washington on, on what they expect the outcome of these midterm elections to be. And, and we're very optimistic uh, about about the House up in Congress, you know, flipping from uh, Democrat to Republican, which is great. Uh, I think it's kind of up in the air on, on whether the Republicans will take control of the Senate. But uh, we're, we're very optimistic. And I think it's – look, I, I think everybody understands the nature of this supply chain crisis right now, and we're, we're excited to see – uh, you know, the Republican Party hopefully take control of at least the House up there, and, and we can start advancing some policy that'll help us. The uh, on the issue of trucks themselves, uh, do you think that there is a, 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 a well, I don't want to say a war on trucks, but it just some real antagonist antagonism against trucks as a motor vehicle because. They uh, use up uh, gasoline because they use fossil fuels. It, George, uh, we are so frustrated as an industry on this Green New Deal concept. I mean, look, we want to be good stewards of the environment. Everybody, even your listeners, you know, we want to leave this place better than we received it. But, you know, the advancing of this this policy right now, trying to eliminate fossil fuels and, and combustion engines is, is just going to destroy the economy if, if it's not rolled out in a, in a time frame that industry can absorb it. And I mean, I mean, look at California, George. They're wanting everybody to go to electric, and then they're asking them to to, to not charge their their cars certain days because their grid can't handle it. I mean, we don't even have a grid that can handle uh, the addition of of even the passenger electric vehicles right now. Nonetheless, uh, you know, class seven and eight big trucks like like we drive. I mean, I I heard a statistic, and I don't know if it's accurate, but, you know, to charge a a truck that one of our class eight trucks is the equivalent of powering like eight to ten homes. And so our grid can't handle it. Frankly, the, the the infrastructure isn't there for us to absorb it, and so I, I we're frustrated with it, and and I, I'm hopeful that we're going to get some people with some sense up there in Washington that can, you know, allow us to continue to operate and put goods on everybody's table without interfering on and issues like this. You are obviously a a leader in your industry. Um, you certainly are a leader here in our community. We have seen you run for office. Um, if you had a magic wand, what changes would you make or what changes need to happen both locally as well as the state as well as the the federal government uh, uh, to make things uh, to make this economy and our lives a little bit better well george if if i had a magic wand what i would do is is when i wave that magic wand i would i would have more business minded and and business experienced folks in office i mean to me, it's it's as much about not doing things as it is doing things, right? And it's you know we're talking about you know the advent of electric trucks and the Green New Deal and you know all of these various issues. You know, to me, it's it's really a matter of, of look, let a free market be a free market. Let let business operate and continue to do what we do best, which is moving the economy forward and, and support us. And that's the problem that we're seeing right now is we have uh, more headwinds right now that are impacting our industry it's forcing people out of our industry i I just wish we had more people uh that that had some business sense to them that could come in there we need to get 18 to 21 year olds to be able to drive these trucks in the right conditions with the right training and safety protocol we've got to eliminate this lawsuit abuse environment that we're feeling in our industry we need to support our oil and gas industry and not try to kill it i mean we're seeing the impacts of that with the ukraine war and and i think we need to continue to focus on growing our infrastructure to support a, a growing economy especially here in the state of texas Anything else that you'd like to add to it uh, to our conversation before we let you go, buddy? 
No, look, I, I appreciate you having me on, George. It's always great to talk with you and your listeners. We have a legislative session coming up here in Texas starting in January, so would love to come back on with you and your listeners as, as that begins and talk about our legislative initiatives. And would love to, to, to gain you and your listeners' support on those issues uh, here in Texas, but also continue to keep you updated on what's going on at the federal level. We would love that. I mean, we, you know, folks, if there's anything that we need to do, we need to support the trucking industry so that we can keep ourselves fed and we can keep our, our economy going. Uh, it, it is, I mean, we, we are in, we are tied together. I mean, that's all there is to it, right? <laughs> no question about it, George. Look, we're, we're trying to provide everybody the food that they put on their table, the medicine that they take every day, and, and, and the goods that they touch, no matter where they are, right? And so that your continued support and the support of your listeners is, is really critical to that. And just picking up the phone and calling the folks that represent you at the federal level as well as the state level to help us advance our initiatives would be greatly appreciated because we're here to serve you guys and continue to move America forward. We will do that. We've got to, uh, got to get behind this industry, folks. Once again, we've been speaking with our good friend, Mr. Adam Blanchard, the CEO of Double Diamond uh, Trucking and Tanager Logistics. Thank you very much, Adam, for taking time to be with us today. Hi, folks. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador. I want to thank our guests, uh, Mr. Mike Helley, former president of the San Antonio Police Association, uh, Mr. Simon Hankinson from the, uh, uh, from the, uh, from the Heritage Foundation in Washington, D.C., and Mr. Adam Blanchard, uh, who uh, is with the, it was the, he is with Diamond Double here in town, here in San Antonio, as well as uh, Tanager uh, Logistics. And uh, my friends, thank you very, very much. Let me remind everyone once again that we are looking for a new sponsor. Starting in January, we get our new contract with KLUP. And uh, we are looking for a new sponsor to uh, help us pay the bill, of course. So if uh, you know of anyone, any organization, uh, any uh, business that would like to uh, sponsor us, that would like to have their logo all over the place with El Conservador, I do a lot of public speaking, their logo would be there in front of it, Uh, I do a lot of uh, 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 advertising, I do a lot of uh, promotions. Uh, their advertisement would be there, your logo would be there, uh, etc., etc. So, we are looking for uh, a sponsor or sponsors. It would be great if we could get several folks. Um, or, you know, if uh, if you're Santa Claus and you just want to give us money, hey, <laughs> that's fine too. But uh, definitely we're going to be looking for, um, uh, we are looking for sponsors for next year's show, which starts in January. So uh, once again, thank you very much for joining us, my friends. Uh, remember, you can uh, you can uh, follow me on uh, uh, on social media: Facebook, MeWe, Twitter, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, we hope that you will tell your friends to join us. Until next time, my friends. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador in San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.